I think I decided what I wanted to do, and it was land flipping. And I was like, you're freaking crazy. I was scouring the internet trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Ultimately, we were looking for something that could actually be like a business where mm -hmm. we would bring in short-term revenue, but it would also have some long-term possibilities to it. Why we chose land flipping. When I started digging into it, I was like, wait a second, this is like checking all the boxes of all the stuff I want. First of all, short-term income, you know, the fact that you can buy and sell these properties quickly, no tenants, didn't have to worry about tenants unless there was a squatter on the property, no management complexities, no need to get loans for these properties. A lot of these properties were smaller dollar purchases. The other thing that I really liked was scaling it seems simple. The undertone here is that you were in control of your success. Exactly. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast, Heather. It's so great to be here once again. Yeah, another warm, sunny Southern California day, huh? Yeah, well, a little gloomy out today. We should do some B-roll footage of how rainy it is and everything. So, but no one's going to feel sorry for us. No, here, it's actually not gloomy, honey. It's raining. Well, that's you. You don't think that uh, rainy is gloomy? Gloomy is kind of like just overcast. Okay. And this is actually raining. So. Okay. Anyways, just keeping it real. Gloomy. Keeping it real here on the podcast, right? But today's topic. Oh is, yes, exciting one. Yeah. So we're gonna delve into why we chose land flipping as our main business. I mean, we had a lot of opportunities for different types of real estate investing. And it always comes down to, but why did you do land? Like, cause it's, I think people still think it's random. Yeah, a like, lot of what? people do. They they think it's maybe just not what it actually is. Right, it's misunderstood. Mis that's a great way to put it, Heather. It's misunderstood. Obviously land flipping is probably not the, I don't know, the shiniest object when it comes to people mm -hmm. that are thinking about real estate investing, that could be other areas like flipping, flipping homes yeah, that's or the one that's... Airbnbs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, Or even that with like, I, I still think of Burr as kind of like a newer thing, mm, yes. even at this point it's not, but it's not, I mean, I guess it's not even new. I guess people have been doing it forever, but um, it was kind of like a hype thing. Mm -hmm. So you say something like that and even people who don't have a lot of experience will be like, oh, I've heard of that. And our goal is to make land flipping the new cool thing. And that starts with education because people need to understand exactly what it is. Because right. it's, again, misunderstood. People don't really get it. And I don't blame them because we talk about it a lot that I didn't in the beginning either. I thought you were crazy. Was that based off of past experiences with me or something? I or mean, did you maybe, but no, I, <laughs> no, it was just kind of like, because I thought that real estate investing was those... We saw that in Southern California, like for years we would see like, I don't know, from 2000s or maybe I just started paying attention to that early 2000s, you know, for 15, 20 years, you'd see the big signs like on big, you know, like avocado properties and it'd mm, be like, yeah. buy this land or whatever. And I was like, okay, it's been for sale for like 12 years now. Like, and so when you said, I want to do that, I was like, okay, so we're going to buy pieces of land and like just hold them for 12. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be a super long process. It was going to be hard to sell. I mean, that's the reality. And then once I started understanding it and seeing that it worked, then I was like, okay, cool, we're doing this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe we should at first, if you're new to the podcast and new to kind of learning about land flipping, I guess it's probably a good idea to explain what it is uh, kind of on a 20,000 foot view. So basically what we do with land flipping is that we buy properties off market generally. Mm -hmm. So we're sending out normally direct mail to property owners that own these pieces of land and we are buying them off market 
And then we are doing some improvements to these properties sometimes, some minor things, brush clearing or a survey or could be splitting up the lot, something like that. And then we are reselling it as quickly as possible. Our average hold time on these properties is about 90 days. And our target is always to double our money in that amount of time as well. It's uh, the complete opposite of what we originally thought land investing was about. That's what I thought land investing was, mm -hmm. your description of like seeing these large pieces of land, big signs there that were there for many, many years and they never really sold. It's completely different than that. This is a short-term model, it's a short-term cash flow model. We're buying and selling these properties really quickly. Contrary to popular belief, you can do that with land. The other thing too is once I started explaining it to people, they're like, okay, so you're like a land developer. But it's, I don't even like that as an explanation because it's, it is not like land developing. Sometimes it can be, but it's not that we're going into it thinking we're going to like, when I think of land development, I think of it as like a major, pro, like a, a major, major subdivision. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, I'm going to buy this land and then I'm going to get it under contract and the seller is going to just have like a super long escrow with me. And then in like, you know, 18 months after I get this initial stuff done, then I'm going to get a lender to cover this and and there's going to be huge expenses that you have to get a loan for. And then eventually, you know what I mean? Eventually you hit a home run. Hopefully. Yeah. And then you yeah. either sell it or you um, you are the person that actually is going to take it to the next step where you're going to yeah. build it or whatever like that. So sometimes it can be, you know, a major use, I mean, a, mm. a major process. It could be a major project, I guess. There's some pieces of that that go into everything that we do, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times. But sometimes it can just be that like you, you don't even end up doing anything. Although that's not to say that we don't, we always do something. We always do the basic things. Like we make sure that if it's going to be something that's the end buyer is going to buy, that it, it can have a septic tank if needed, or it could attach. Like there's certain things that we do to make sure that we're buying something that's not a gamble. That's a, you right. know, so it, there's always something. We never do nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess at least in, in some cases, we at least are doing our research to make sure it's a buildable property and kind right. of go down the road to make sure mm -hmm. that it's something that, uh, that we can actually resell. Right. So. And it, it, something like that would be if it's on sewer, mm -hmm. like we know in it, we call up and they're like, oh yeah, you can totally tap into the sewer system. We wouldn't be getting a septic Thing no, done, no. but if it's not on sewer, what do you think is the percentage of times we would at least get the? Yeah, it depends on and how large the lot is. Mm -hmm. If it's got other uses besides building a lot, mm -hmm. uh, building a home on it, so we've got some some internal criteria. A lot of mm -hmm. times, if it's under five acres, we will definitely get a perk test done on the property. If it's over five acres, it's kind of a gray area. Ten acres and plus. Uh, not so often. So it just depends. So there's always something. So right. it's not like a straight flip. But, you know, even people say they flip houses. Same kind of thing. They're they're not doing nothing for the most part normally. Well, most people, yeah, mm -hmm. most people are actually doing an extensive amount of remodeling mm -hmm. in, in the, that case. Do and you remember the one we did that we actually did flip a house and we didn't really do anything? Well, yeah, that was our actually our very, well, when we consider our, our own homes, we did uh, work to those. But mm -hmm. those are the first ones. But then, yes, our, our first home that we sort of bought as an investment. Mm -hmm. We bought it with the intent that we were going to do some things to this property and remodel it and everything like that. But we decided to just, after we closed on it, we decided to just kind of list it because we felt like we got it for such a good price. And then we resold it without doing anything. Within like 30 days of yes. buying. It was, yeah, it was yeah. one of those beginner's luck, definitely. It was a beginner's luck, yes. You know, and it was a situation that we actually, because we used financing to buy it, mm -hmm. so we didn't even have to make a payment on it. So. Right. I was like, wow, this is so easy. Yeah, that was great. Well, they don't all, all Jokes turn out on that us. great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not quite that easy. So <laughs> we've, we've learned along the way. But for the most part, if you're doing something like flipping land, I mean, flipping houses, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. So so I guess it's a good, mm -hmm. good time to kind of go into our backstory. I mean, we actually 
have been investing since the early 2000s, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, because that's when we bought our first home is in 2000, mm-hmm. right? And we bought that with an FHA loan. It needed some fixer-upper type stuff. I, was, at the time, was watching a lot of HGTV, and I thought I could do a lot of these renovations myself. And I did a lot of the renovations. The quality on those renovations was very lacking. I am actually kind of surprised because there was no YouTube. Mm-hmm. So you literally, when you watch those, you're like, I can do this. I'm going to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and tell Heather, them. I need to buy some tools. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then we lent those tools out. We never got them back. I remember yeah. that too. But for what the resources you had, I, yeah. I think you did pretty well. I mean, these were just cosmetic things, you know, right. painting. We I was weren't. doing some molding. <laughs> I was doing some, you know, flooring and stuff like that. Not really advanced type stuff. But we weren't knocking out walls or re-plumbing no, 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 or nothing, rewiring. Nothing or... that cool, no. So I was doing all that myself. And then we actually rented out that after we, we moved out. And then we rented out the house for a year. Mm-hmm. I don't think we were really mature enough to be landlords at that point. I mean, we were mature enough mm-hmm. to pay our bills and do everything like that. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have the management side of things down and the tenant, we didn't select the best tenants and the tenants kind of messed up the home and we were just kind of like, nah, I'm done with this crap. So, well, they, we were, we were having our second child and I remember, um, like they were calling like middle of the night because they turned on the sprinklers, but they couldn't figure out how to turn off the sprinklers. Yeah. And we were like telling them you twist it. It's the type that you had the, that old kind of like, I don't yeah. know what you call that thing. It was like that tool. It was you a know? key. Yeah. yeah. A key type thing. Yeah. So. And we were like, well, you turned it to the, you know, whichever way to start to, to start it, do the opposite way. They could not figure it out. So in the middle of the night, we had to drive over there Yeah, yeah. and show them, the t- you know, and you just turn it off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. they were like, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a number of those incidents like that kind of had us shaking your head and we were like, oh, we don't want to be landlords. So we just like the, you know, maybe fixing up the properties. Mm-hmm. We were kind of interested in that. So we then ended up selling that home mm-hmm. or did we buy the set? We bought a second home first maybe. And then we sold that home. One thing also that I want to point out is it's different when, because we had lived in that house and it was like our first house, we were super proud of those upgrades, Mm, even though they were not, no one would look at it and be like, wow, that was luxury or anything, Mm -hmm. but we were like proud of it and they were trashing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other thing doing, knowing is going into it that putting in the right stuff for, for a rental Mm -hmm. versus like for what you would, you know, maybe you put stuff that needs more upkeep if you're going to live there. So that, that took into it. Um, we bought another house. Well, I think we bought a house while we were renting that one. Yeah. Yeah. So we bought this other house, needed more work, actually, an older home, needed more work, but it had a lot more upside. It had a lot more land. It was a bigger home. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really cool place. Again, I did a lot of this work myself. We started hiring some people to do some of the work. We ended up selling that first home and we made a good chunk of money at the time. You know, I think we bought that house for Mm $205,000. And we sold it for two seventy five or something like that. But after closing costs and all that kind of stuff, I think we ended up making like fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, or I think it was right. And to us, that was like, yeah at the time that was the jackpot. Uh-huh. So. But also, if you think that the house was like you know two something and mm-hmm. and you know yeah, and it was only two three years something like that. So it was barely a, it was it was just over two years, just like over almost two exactly years. Yeah. over two years. Yeah, yeah. So the second house we started working on, it. we started fixing it up. We lived there and everything like that. And then we started, uh, I think we then bought an, that other home that we just talked about where we bought it and then resold it really quickly and, and made $75,000 without doing anything. It was so, actually 100000 Was it 100000 yeah, okay. I remember well, that check, getting that, that you had to go, I had to go into escrow to pick up the check. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a really when mm-hmm. it kind of made it real like, oh, okay, we can do this now. And then we started buying homes to flip them. 
we were doing renovations. We were paying people to do a lot of the renovations mm -hmm. at that point. And I was still working on them a lot too, myself. We had another business as well that we were doing at the time. We had a, we owned a used car lot, so we were buying and selling cars as well. Uh, so we had a lot of things going on during that stage of life and kids. And The car thing is, is very kind of almost like the land though, land now. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of thing. We were just, we were buying city, we were doing like a typical used car lot, I guess, in a way we were trying to target people who needed like really good, reliable cars for like under $2,000, which yeah. that sounds insane sounds now. Crazy, yeah. That sounds crazy. But we had a source where we could buy government cars. So they were on maintenance schedules and they weren't fancy cars at no, all, No, but they served a lot of people really well. But one thing I learned pretty quickly was I didn't like being a used car salesperson. <laughs> Heather was very good though. She was, she was our best salesperson. Yeah, yeah, days. that's not saying much. But um, on certain days, yeah, I had like carrying a kid, like, you know, on one hip and like carrying the, walk, the other one walking behind me selling a, what was our, a Ford Tempo? No, a, Something a, like that. Yeah, a Ford, Ford Tempo. And a yeah, we sold lots of vans, you know, mm -hmm. like work vans. We sold all kinds of trucks and stuff like that. Yeah, too. yeah. So. And it was cool. And then the source dried up. Yeah. And yeah. we were like, eh, do we want to be? Do, let's just focus on flipping houses. Yeah. So that's the, that's the, how we made that transition. And that was going great for a while until the market crashed here in Southern California and all across the country, actually all across the world. At that point, the buyers dried up mm -hmm. and we were like, ah, flipping homes is really not the best business to be in right now. But thankfully, I'd gotten my broker's license a couple years before that. Uh, to give us better access to deals. You know, we could show ourselves the properties. We could write offers on the properties mm -hmm. we liked. We were sourcing all of our deals on the MLS. And that was that was a really good business for a while until, you know, until the market kind of took a dive. Right. So, Hey, everyone. Just a quick reminder that you can join our community for free at landconquest.com. Inside, you'll get all the resources, training, and support for building a thriving land flipping business. Once again, that's landconquest.com. All right, enjoy the rest of the show. You know what's funny? Something that just popped in my head is that when we started really traveling, like we've done a lot of businesses, but when we started traveling in 2014, I think is when we really got into it. And I'd say the market crashed around here 2007, 2008, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so six years later is when we really started traveling. And for the first couple of years that we traveled, as soon as people found out that we were from the U.S., they wanted to talk about the recession yeah. and the market crash. And a lot of them, I remember in the beginning, of, like well, that's 10 years ago now, they were still in the heat of that. Yeah, like it was like were, a delayed reaction. Mm -hmm. It was like a chain reaction of things. And they were really struggling. Their economies were really struggling. Yeah, like we had recovered. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone was back to whole at that point, especially like, I don't know, certain segments, but it shocked me because it was still very raw for them. Like, mm -hmm. and then in 2016, it changed. Everyone wanted to ask us about the president of the United States. Yeah, yeah. We were like, please just don't talk to us about anything. <laughs> like we don't want to talk about the recession. We don't want to talk about, we just, we're here just to visit yeah. and stuff. It's hard for people to understand that like what happens here is, has like ramifications. Huge ripple flicks. Yeah. yeah. Really. Yeah. And then people were angry because they felt like our housing market crash, I guess, rightfully so. They felt like there was, some, you know. Yeah. yeah major problems of, around the world. Yeah. Uh, took a long time to recover from, for sure. Yeah. OK. So, I mean, uh, we could talk for years about the, yeah. all that stuff. and. Yeah. But, but bottom line is I'd gotten my broker's license mm -hmm. a couple years before then. And Heather's like, hey, you should just focus on helping the banks sell their properties. And that's what was happening at that point. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I signed up as a broker for all these different banks, every single one of them I could find. And then I went down this whole 
path of being an REO listing broker. They, they call it REOs or bank-owned mm-hmm. properties. And did that for a number of years. And There's an interesting progression on that, too, is because you were able to sign up with all of them before. We kind of saw the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, like we saw it within our own stuff that we were doing, right? And then we saw like the greater community and we're like, okay, so we're, we had never seen a cycle like that. Where does that go? What happens next? And, and it was people are, you know, the writing was on the wall that there was going to be a lot of bank owned properties. Mm-hmm. So you can't beat them, join them, yeah, yeah. you know? So I was like, okay, well, how can we, you know, how can we survive with our skills and do that? And then, so you got into doing that and um, we talk about BPOs and all that kind of stuff. Like you paid your time. Like mm-hmm. there was a lot of time, like really hustling, getting valuations and doing Thousands, thousands of valuations yeah. a month. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a month. What? I'm trying to think how many do you think? Because it's, it's, I know there were certain did, days I think we had like did 30. No, in a day. no. We had, because you had 30 on your account and 30 on my oh, okay. account. Wow. So, and then went into, um, once the REOs kind of dried up in a sense, then moved into short sales. Because then the mm-hmm. banks were realizing, wait a minute, if we can avoid actually taking the inventory, that saves a lot. Yeah, that, and, that was a better solution for both sides, really. So, yeah, mm-hmm. then, I, then I began to focus on helping people you know, get their short sales processed. That was a lot different of a business. I didn't enjoy that very much either. I didn't enjoy the bank owned stuff, but I didn't enjoy the short sales either. But at the time, that's what what was selling. So if you look back on each of those things, it built skill sets because Mm -hmm. the bank owned you, you understood it was just a numbers game. It was not emotional. And it was literally, you could, you could pick the value based off of, it was very, very obvious in a way, I guess. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. Like as much as like the housing market in 2006, 2007, and maybe the best um, example in recent times would be 2020 to 2022, how everything was kind of going crazy. There was a second wave of that with the bank owned. Mm -hmm. Like you would get even more, like it was insane how many offers. Yeah, at that time you would think that there would just, it would be really hard to sell things, Mm -hmm. but it was actually super easy to sell these properties because every property that I would list, I'd get like 20 offers, Mm -hmm. you know? So the hard part about the job was responding to all these offers. It was, I mean, that was a good problem to have, but they were all cash buyers and all looking at the long-term perspective and they were buying them the properties at 50% of what they were, you know, just a year earlier. Mm -hmm. So it really made sense for them. And those people had a great long-term perspective and obviously had the cash at the time to do those types of things. So it was obvious to me that there was tons and tons of deals happening. It's just that we didn't have the resources at the, or the connections at the time to take care of, take advantage of them ourselves. So, Mm -hmm. you know, next best thing was to kind of just be a broker and get a little little piece of that uh, transaction. Right. So. But you also learned in that one how to write a clean offer, what a mm-hmm. clean offer looks like, and to, and some scenarios where red flags in offers and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot. learned a lot in that business. Mm-hmm. and But I was thankful to move on from that. Yeah. So for a while, dabbled in luxury homes, luxury home listings, did that for some time. That didn't really resonate with me because as a luxury listing agent, you have to actually be there for all the showings. So even if the you know, the buyers have their own agent. You still have to be there to open up the home. And you're kind of like on everyone else's whim to whenever they want to come look at a property. And I, I don't know. I just didn't just didn't enjoy that. It seemed like so many people there were just tire kickers as well. Like a lot of people just looking. Few people were actually serious buyers. I don't know. That's just the that's just the impression I get. Well, so. And the luxury market hadn't caught up. Right. The rest of the market was starting to not ramp up, but get more of a an average cycle. And uh, luxury no. was still people were scared to spend money. They were. They were. Yeah. There wasn't as much money around back then. Right. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So then what did you do next? Well, and then that's when we transitioned to working together. No, nope, you skipped something. Did I? What yeah. Did I you were helping. Um, you actually worked at, uh, for an investment company. Well, not worked with. But oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so I had gotten a lot of connections through, you know, listing all these um, bank-owned and short-sale properties. And a lot of large investment companies, you know, were buying up these properties. So I got some great contacts with them. And then I just started focusing on finding them deals for a while. And that was a, that was actually a really good business because I knew exactly what they were they were looking for mm-hmm. because I was an investor myself. And then, uh, you know, they were like desperate for deals. So I would just write them tons of offers and find them deals and get these properties locked mm-hmm. up. And then they would they would buy them, close on them 10 days later. So it was a good it was good for me as well. And another thing on that one was just the numbers. It mm-hmm. was unemotional. Yep. If the house had a red kitchen, the investors didn't care. No, no. Because they were going to paint it or whatever. You know, like yeah. it didn't matter. And, it, um, and so something that resonates through all of this was that numbers aren't emotional. Yeah. And, and that's something that we like. Yeah, that's right. We love, love just the, the business side of things, mm-hmm. the emotions and the, that part of real estate, mm-hmm. I don't like so much. So Right. Because I can't tell you how many times when we worked with buyers years and years ago, I was an agent. I don't have my license anymore. Yeah. Um, but it, it would be like, this house is absolutely perfect, except for that. I don't like the yellow paint. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you can paint it. It's like $50. You would, mm-hmm. Like back then you could paint this room for $50. And yeah. they'd be like, no, I just can't. I can't do this house. And you're like, okay, add it to the list of things. So no yellow kitchens. And then you go in another, or yellow rooms. You take them to another house and they'd be like, what I like the most about this is the paint color. And I'm yeah. like, it's a yellow, it's yellow, you know? And it's just, it's frustrating. You have to have the buyers right- Buyers are company. liars, Heather? Yeah, That's buyers are liars, mm-hmm. yeah. That whole journey was fun. A lot of learning experiences and everything. And then at the, at that point, I was like kind of burnt out on real estate. Like Heather knew that I was probably complaining about it. You weren't. It's just that you you lost that luster. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I could tell. It was just like, okay, I found this. And yeah. you know why though? Because yeah, you were good at, at helping them find deal, like the people find deals and stuff, but it got more competitive, which you actually like that kind of thing, but there was nothing, there was no, there was nothing new. Yeah. It was because a track home is a track home is a track home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? And yeah. I had less control of that process too. You know, it was just kind of like whatever deals came up was, you know, so I didn't like that part. Like, about it. I liked having an actual business where I could drive, where I could determine how, right. many, how much business I do. Right. There was so. no growth. There was right. no growth potential because right. it was limited. And and they actually asked you to branch out into different markets and stuff. However, it's not so easy just to... Yeah, you get to drive around, check out these properties. Yeah. And, you know, the farther you drive, the more time it takes and less deals you can do and all that kind of stuff. So, but, you know, when, when I, when we started, you know, realizing that, hey, you know, maybe it's time to cut, to kind of get out of what I was doing... Heather uh, had her own thing going on, and that was really, really taking off. There was a lot of, you know, she was getting messages. She was um, focused on um, blogging and travel blogging at that time and really successful. And a lot of people were always asking her, like, hey, how do I do this, too? They wanted her to show her, show them how to do it. Hey, can I take you out for coffee so you can show me how to do all this and <laughs> for free and all this stuff? We were both really aware that there was a big demand there. Like, it felt like a... You missed it again. So it was... I was getting a lot... I know. I know. Sorry, you're, you, you're missing it. Okay. It, I was getting a lot of contracts, and I hate reading contracts. It's like one of my things I hate doing. And you were like... I'm like, hey, can you just help me with this? And you were seeing like the potent, you were like, well, you could negotiate this higher. And like you were using all those skills and you're good at reading contracts. That's no big deal. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Well, you in real estate, you get really used to that really quickly. Right. Yeah. And, and actually, that was a good skill that I had because I could understand these contracts where a lot of bloggers couldn't. Right. But I hated doing it. And then also it does take time to read through them. So 
you know, if you're doing all the creative stuff and you're doing running social media and you're negotiating that and then you're making sure you get paid, it's just like at the end of the day. And I was like, can you help me do this? Yes. And you were like, I can increase this. I was acting as your manager for a while. My man, I guess, yes. right? In, in a weird way. It really was. And uh -huh. all those like emails came to me then and I yeah. had to respond on your behalf and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, you negotiated like and, and bumped up the price. And it's funny how when you, when you take into account that you're like, there's more budget, you know, uh -huh. and you were able to increase it exponentially. Right. And then, the, yeah, and then people were like, you know, and then they do those stupid lists like top bloggers, you know, who make all this kind of stuff. So then it, it becomes like a little more incessant with people asking, like, teach me how to do it. Yeah. But and then you read uh, someone's post that talked about like income potential teaching how to do it. Right. Because it was one thing because at some point you're maxed out being actually doing the creative work because there's only there's only me. So and I can't really hire someone else to be me. Right. So that that you're like, OK, you're limited on that. And I was getting tired, right? right? Doing that. And you, and I forwarded you because we had kind of bounced around the idea of teaching. You knew it was mm -hmm. like something, you know, but then I, I sent you an article of someone saying, I make this much. Yeah. They were making a ton of money. Just, you know, they created a course mm -hmm. on, you know, something related to something in a similar niche. And I was like, we could do this. I was like, no I, problem. Can't, <laughs> I can't do that. Cause I was like, I can't, but uh -huh. you're like, I could do that. And then we decided to do it. And then it really took off really quickly. We had, uh, I don't know, tens of thousands of students over, you know, about a four or five year period where we really focused on that business for quite some time. And that was amazing. But again, started getting the itch back to get uh, to do something different and to get back into real estate investing, because I always felt like that was my true calling. I right. Guess it say. was funny because you got in there and you kind of like just really got it going and everything. And then 2020 hit. So oh, no yes. one's traveling. Right. Yeah. And like, that was a big part of what we, you know, one of our courses was all about travel blogging. Mm -hmm. And know. it was what we enjoyed. Right. Like that was like our identity was going on traveling. It's like what we lived for. We loved it. You know, yep. blogging and sharing and, and stuff was amazing, especially in the travel aspect. So we're walking. I tell the story. I know exactly when it ha happened. We were in um, Newport Beach. We'd go for walks every single day. You know, it was like during the serious quarantine of that year. Mm -hmm. And so staying away from everybody, but we're walking and it was like, I was like, thank God we can go for the walks. And I was like, we can't do this anymore, can we? The blogging, you're like, ah. <laughs> and I'm like, you have to get back to real estate, don't you? You're like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we've got time because we're going nowhere. And then we're on a walk a couple days later and then you're like, and what did you say? Well, I think I, I, think I decided what I wanted to do. <laughs> and it was land flipping. And I was like, you're freaking crazy i was like are you serious like i i know the exact spot like i have it memorized mm -hmm. yeah, on I do this too. do you yeah it was on bay bayside drive i think mm -hmm. in newport beach if you want to go look that check that out i'm stopped and you kept walking i was like what <laughs> are you looking to scale your land flipping business quickly well we're happy to present our new cutting edge system built specifically for land flippers take a look at the land conquest business system today and you'll gain full access to a customizable pre-made website CRM, dedicated phone numbers, text automations, 24-7 support, and more. It's basically a business in the box. Go to software.landconquest.com to learn more. Yeah, so I was scouring the internet trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, I put a bunch of notes here, kind of like the different business models that I was looking into. Mm -hmm. And all these things were going through my head and I really was struggling because I knew I wanted to get back into investing, but I didn't know what type of investing I wanted to do. Like a lot of these things just didn't, didn't seem to be a match for where we were at or I want to see what, what we wanted to do or whatever. I'm so. going to read off the ones that you, okay. that you considered doing. Right. Okay. So you looked into fixing and flipping single family homes. Uh, you'd been there, done that. So there's a lot of complexity, rehab, um, contractors, my God. 
Yes. That I alone, know. forget. I can't. Contractors. And so it, it got so competitive that, and that niche is very competitive. Still mm-hmm. right now, it's very competitive. Yeah, it's so. hard. Like, that's mm-hmm. the hardest thing. Um, is finding people that yep. show up, that do decent work, you know, and then hidden expenses because I've had someone that just kind of was like laughing. We're doing a project and I was like, okay, so this is our budget. And I said, but I'm going into it knowing I've got at least 20 plus percent wiggle worm room, wiggle worm, wiggle worm. Wiggle yes. worm. And they were like, no, if the budget's this. And I was like, it's never like, it's <laughs> never this. Right? right. Yeah. And it seems it, even then we were, and that was 2020 before things got really crazy. It yeah. already felt like it was competitive. So yes. you, were, you were right on that. Um, the next one was holding rental properties using the Burr method. Not enough short-term income seemed like it would be a very long road to generate the monthly income to really make a difference. And then that last line item, tenants. Tenants. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a, you know, like, Tenants have always been kind of, uh, that, that's never really appealed to me too much. I mean, we have tenants right now and everything like that, but it's just, I don't want that to be my main business. So what yeah. I've learned is you can have some absolutely amazing ones we've had right. and have absolutely amazing ones. Right. And then you have some that you're just like, it's a constant battle. <laughs> One spoiled apple ruin, ruins a whole bunch, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. And evictions aren't fun. We talked about that before. Yeah. Evictions are just, you know, and also you look like a complete ass. No matter right. the, if someone doesn't pay you and you evict them, you're the jerk. Right. Yeah. So not cool. Okay. Apartment buildings, syndications, um, tough to make short-term revenue and ultra competitive. Ultimately, we were looking for something that could actually be like a business where Mm -hmm. we would bring in short-term revenue, but it would also have some long-term possibilities to it. And buying apartment buildings was cool, very trendy at the time. And Mm -hmm. it still, still is very competitive and doing them as syndications was, was a big deal. But uh, I don't know. The short-term cash flow wasn't there, and it just seemed ultra-competitive to me. You know, there's people that are absolutely just, like, killing it in all of these. Right. Oh, yes. So we're not saying, like, this is bad or by any means. It's just the things that we considered, and these were our pros and cons. Or Mm -hmm. I should say you considered. Right. (laughs) Pros and cons. Uh, Commercial buildings, barrier to entry because there was limited financing, especially. I guess then it was okay, but we knew that that wasn't always the case because they're short-terms. And you've got to hit the market just right. And if yours comes up for renewal when it's financing is almost not available right. or if it's super expensive, you can't really control that right. in a lot of ways, in the simple forms of it. Tough to make short-term revenue. Yeah. Okay. And then hotels and motels. I'm dying on that one. Financing challenges, lots of complexities, high management needs. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we bought a hotel. Yeah, we did. And yeah, motel. Motel, motel. It was, it's actually a cabin property. It's a mm-hmm. bunch of bunch of small cabins on a large property. And it is so, so cool. Mm-hmm. But we, it's still been a struggle finding people to do it. Right. So if you want to buy a, a motel cabin type property in Wisconsin, please let us know. Yeah, we've got that. I'll give you a good deal. Actually, I'll, I'll let you, uh, we'll sell it for what we paid for it. <laughs> Yeah, I would be fine with that. It sucks because it, we had so much dreams for that. Right. We just don't have the time. We mm-hmm. don't have the time to execute on it. So, and we need you know. um, someone that either, um, yeah, has a bunch of time and can really put it into it because it is such a cool property and it's been around forever. Um, or if you're kind of handy yourself and really like doing yeah. that, it would be. Yeah, this is a perfect situation mm-hmm. for someone like that that can really get into it, you know. I'm getting handier. I have this past year. I'm, you really have been, yeah. Uh-huh, I really enjoy it, but I still don't think I can remodel a big cabin village. So we're not quite there yet. Okay. And also I have like, um, squirrel mine. So I'd probably lose interest halfway Mm, through one of them. And that would suck. Short-term rentals seemed like a lot of regulations were coming. Lots of management complexities, lots of tenants (laughs) pandering for five-star reviews. That last part of it, the pandering for five-star reviews, that was the thing about it that really, because that was, that was very uh, starting to get very trendy at the time. And it still is, you know, but I, you know, we joined some Facebook groups and everything we, we both did and we're kind of like looking at it and, you know, all the complaints were about the reviews. 
you know, like with so many of the complaints mm -hmm. from other hosts were about the reviews and like people giving them a four star or three star review and it just messes everything up for them. And it just kind of felt like they were having to jump through all these hoops to make all these people happy. And a lot of times, you know, they, they were going way overboard and people didn't appreciate what they were doing and all this kind of stuff. And I just was like, I didn't want, I don't want to get wrapped up into that. No. So. And I, I know too, that like, I'm not the best person that like going back to that midnight call or two, you know, can't chop the sprinklers, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. We like, didn't, we didn't want to get into that again. No. While it sounded cool to have kind of a vacation home, all different parts of the country, really mm -hmm. cool vacation spots, yes. the management side of things wasn't appealing to us. No. And, and then putting all that into it, just have someone trash it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And this is at the point where you stumbled into land investing. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you take over from Yeah. There. Okay. So, so why the, the, the whole title of this podcast is why we chose land flipping. And when I started digging into it, I was like, wait a second, this is like checking all the boxes of all the stuff I want. First of all, um, short term income, you know, the fact that you can buy and sell these properties quickly and you're not, you know, sitting on these properties forever and waiting for them to appreciate and, you know, never get paid and never have any cash flow in the meantime. Land flipping was was about that. Um, no tenants. Didn't have to worry about tenants unless there was a squatter on the property. But then I wouldn't buy that property. Anyhow. <laughs> no management complexities. When you buy a piece of land, it's really beautiful because when you buy a piece of land. It's really beautiful. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> like it's really beautiful. You don't have to do anything. Like Pete we, Reese, we land own, investing is really we own beautiful. thousands of acres all across the country now. And it's not like I'm worried about like, oh, is, you know, what are we doing on this property to do that? Or, you know, they're just there. Right. <laughs> you don't have to do anything to them. We don't have to yell I mean, at the squirrels to like. <laughs> so it's really, really cool when it comes to that. No need to get loans for these properties. A lot of these properties were smaller dollar purchases. I didn't I mean smaller dollar, you know, like a lot of the properties, at least initially we were doing, were all under 100000 or and most of them under 50000 You know, you don't typically have to get loans. And if you don't have the cash to buy these properties, then obviously you can use a partner, partner with Pete.com, check it out. Um, you can use a partner to buy the property, use their money to buy it. And then you split the profits 50, 50. So there were some really uh, cool things about that, that you, no need to jump through hoops to get a loan. The other thing that I really liked was scaling. It seems simple. So in this business, for the most part, we generate most of our deals with direct mail. So we send out actual offers to people in the mail with a, with a letter, snail mail. And the way you get more deals is you send out more offers. Obviously, it's a little bit more complex than that, but that's the basis of it. You send out more offers, you get more deals. Right. So you get more leads and, and all that kind of stuff. So that was appealing. The undertone here is that you were in control of your success. Exactly. You yes. know, like not having to get a loan. It didn't matter if like the market conditions crapped out and or I should say the lending because it ended up it did happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know. Loans are expensive right now, and, and the money is not as available as it was in 2021 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you took back control there. Um, there was short-term cash flow. You could control that. You could buy low, sell high, or whatever. No tenants, so we didn't have to worry about someone like getting in there and like, I don't know. I've seen wild things that people who live in places have done. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have to worry about them, you know, trashing the place before or at it, refusing to show it or something. Right. No management complexities, exactly. That, so you're not dependent on some sort of, you know, anybody else there. No need to get loans. We talked about that. And then scaling. So it's not like you're dependent on the market um, for your success as far as, like you were saying before, like, okay, when people stopped selling or weren't listing on the MLS, well, then it's harder to, for you to get the deals to for your investor because yeah. they're just not they're, there. They're just not there. Right. You're yeah. creating. A lot of the people that we mail, you know, mail to are like, they don't really care about this land. They would sell it, but- also, they 
aren't even thinking about maybe it. not maybe not motivated enough to like go through the process of listing with an agent getting ready to sell and all this kind of stuff right. so yeah and then some other things mm-hmm. no rehabbing or contractors Obviously, we do deal with some contractors mm-hmm. now, but at the time we were trying, looking at it very simply, like, hey, we can just buy this and resell it. So we we do more extensive things now, but it's way less uh, dealings with contractors and, and moving pieces associated with that. Right. And, and also we've been able to cultivate good relationships. And um, a lot of times if you're just doing a flip, you know. You're, you can't really like, I mean, you can, but you have to keep them very busy. Mm-hmm. And so it's harder to, to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. we had a crew a for a while that was like, that we were, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much had full time. So, and then uh, it seemed attainable, mm-hmm. seemed very cut and dry, very easy to me. I mean, the steps were clear. Yeah, it was clear. This wasn't like yeah. some weird. Buy for this, sell for that. Mm-hmm. Seemed pretty easy, seemed attainable. And just overall, the business model made sense to me. Like it, all pieces of it kind of, in my head, it all clicked and it all made sense. And uh, so that's kind of the pitch that I gave to Heather. I go, people, you know, I was reading stuff, people buying these properties for some guy I remember was posting that he bought this property for 10000 and sold it for 30000 And I was like, that's great. Like, I'd love to, I'd, I'd do, as, you know, as many of those deals as we can do. I mean, that sounded awesome to me. And I was telling Heather about them. And she's like, really? They do that? And I'm like, yeah. And they, they sell it quickly. And, you know, she was very skeptical. <laughs> Um, but she believed in it enough to kind of say, okay, you can try it out. <laughs> so she'll support me for that. Yeah, you did. And then I was like, okay, how do we, how do we get this going even higher and higher? Yeah. You know, that, that, that was my next thing. Once you showed it works, that just goes back to, it's just misunderstood. There's so many people out there that would benefit from this, that would enjoy it. I see people all the time, like in our regular life I'm, that are like, oh, I hate, I hate doing this. I hate doing that. Doctors. Lawyers, all these different people. It's the same kind of thing with the blogging community mm-hmm. or the travel thing. They're like, I'd rather do that. But there's so many of them that are like, God, I wish I could do that. I'm thinking, you could do this. Yeah. It, it's not rocket science. No. Obviously, you got to put in your time to figure out how to do things and understand these properties and things. Mm-hmm. But if you have the time and it sounds exciting, or I should say make the time. A lot of people work nine to five jobs, you know? I mean, there's people that are doing this that have no college degree. Mm-hmm. There's people who are doing this that don't even live in the U.S., that have no background of, of real estate other than that they've always wanted to do it. It's always been interesting. There's people that are doing this, working full-time jobs. There's business owners that are doing this. There's a lot of people doing this, but I think also a lot of people don't that don't talk about that they do this because, you know, you say that somebody and they're like, what? Like, you know what I mean? It's better just to say, I just do real estate. You know what I yeah. mean? There's no prerequisites. You don't have to have anything other than a desire to really get into it and be willing to learn and put in the time because the time is where it goes. You know, you need to be practicing valuing. That That's what it comes down to. Yep. Is yeah. Is understanding the value of land. Yep. Understanding what these properties are worth, mm-hmm. how to evaluate them. Is it a good property? Is it a bad property? Right. You know, what should I be able to buy this for? What can I resell it for? Mm-hmm. You know, all these things are, are super important if you're going to do this business, but uh, it's all stuff that can be learned. And that's exactly it. And you don't have to go to, you know, college for 12 years no. before you start making money or yeah. you're going to have huge student loans or anything. But that's also why you created um, the um, the Land Conquest Court. What is, what's it called? I training like, program. Training program. My gosh, yes. I just went blank on it. And we have checklists that include all of that. Yeah, we cover everything. Mm-hmm. A to Z, you know, how to generate the deals, our actual letter that we send out to people, mm-hmm. how to evaluate properties, all the things that we do after we get a property under contract to make sure it's, a, it's an actual deal, um, how to close the transaction, how to... You know, how, how to do every single part of it, how to 
how to communicate with agents and brokers, mm -hmm. you know, to resell the property for us, how to get their opinion on the property. You know, all these different things are part of our processes. And uh, yeah, it's all included in the Land Conquest training program, which we give away at no cost mm -hmm. to every single member of our community. And you can find that community by simply going to landconquest.com and just sign up there and then you'll have access to the training program you'll have access to the community all the questions that are happening in there all the learning and uh yeah some some really cool connections and really think cool things happen in there i think as of this filming we've got maybe 2700 people in our community and we're growing really really quickly maybe by the time this is posted we'll be over 3000 i don't know well, that would be fun I and mean, everyone always asks why are you giving it away for free and the response to that is really simply that we'll benefit in other ways Yep. We have affiliate partnerships where we've been able to work out deals with um, services that you might want to use. So we'll make money on that side. But even more importantly is you have the Partner with Pete program, yes. which we would try to look at it like what would be the barriers to entry for people? You know, a good training program where they actually where it's actually a real training program, yeah. everything you've learned. But also a lot of times people can't fund their deals. Like, yes. So they might get a deal, but they're like, I don't have the cash. So we created a partner with Pete so that we pay for the deal for you. Yeah. You know, so we you, use our money to close yeah. on the transaction. So you don't need to come up with your own cash to close on the deal. We actually plug it everything into our own team as well. So we handle all the property research. We do everything after you get a property under contract. So we'll use our team to handle all the research. Any of the value add stuff, meaning any of the improvements that we make to the property, we cover those expenses up front. We list the properties with an agent and broker. We do the negotiation on the deals. When the property sells at the resells at the end of the day, then we split the profits 50-50. So it's a real win-win scenario, and that's the way we wanted to situate it. So our investor partners are basically spending their time finding more deals, and then we handle everything else so they don't have to worry about it. But then they get 50% of the profits. And it's, it's a win-win for both sides. For the investor, it's great because there is absolutely no risk for them. Mm -hmm. So if we were to buy the property and it lost money or something like that, that liability doesn't come on the investor. We don't go to them and say, hey, you owe us you know, this, mm -hmm. this loss or anything like that. Like That's all on us. But yet they get 50% of the upside. So And obviously we're trying to maximize the upside. Uh, so because we make more profit, you know, the, the higher that we can sell a property for. But we leverage all of our experience to kind of maximize every, every deal and, and know, know where they should sell at and all that kind of stuff. So do you have a great deal under contract? We'll submit it to partnerwithpete.com. The Partner with Pete program is a deal funding program where we will actually use our funds to complete the purchase of the property. We will do every other step of the process, including the due diligence, the transaction side, the marketing side, and the transaction on the resale side. And when all the dust settles, we will split the profits 50-50. There is no downside for you as an investor, only upside. So once again, go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and let's get it funded. It makes sense that our training program would be top-notch because in order for the Partner with Pete program to work, we have to actually get good deals to partner with. Right. So we don't want to train somebody to bring crappy deals because then we won't partner with them. Yep. So if we train everybody like with the absolute best tools to do, you know, like to find the best deals and really understand the business, then we're going to succeed in the partner with Pete program. 
And having said that, if you use the training program, you don't have to partner with Pete. There's no, no obligation. We no. hope you will. And a lot of people do just because they really like finding the deals and they don't want to worry about the other side of things or just getting started and they need money or they just enjoy it. It's it's a much, you know, it's an- Or they want some validation that it's actually a deal. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Right. You know, and, how, and to have someone else say, yeah, it's it's such a deal. I'll, I'll do it. And like, okay, build yeah. up that confidence. So that's why we really put everything into that training program because it benefits everybody. Yeah. And then the other side of things as well, is that we know that there's a large portion of our, you know, membership in the in the community that would like a little more assistance in order to get their businesses up and going and, and uh, kind of like a higher level of service. So obviously we've got the course, which is a self-study situation. But if you're looking for more, if you're looking for accountability, if you're looking for direct Q&A calls with me and, uh, you know, in-depth training with us, then we've got mentorship programs. We've got one called The Gauntlet which is basically an eight week program to, to get your business, your land flipping business from zero to fully functioning with eight week, within eight weeks. And then many of our students then transition into our next program, which is called the Roundtable, And that's simply focused on uh, a great community of people that are all serious about their land flipping businesses and taking that from to whatever level you are scaling it to whatever level you want that to go. So yes, we have other ways that we will make money. So giving away that free training, the training program for free or no cost, as mm -hmm. Heather would say, is uh, will benefit us as well. So don't worry, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Yes, yeah, we will be okay. It's just it's fun in the community seeing people you know, excel. We have student success stories, right? Yes. Every Thursday we were posting a new student mm -hmm. success story. A lot of them are partner with Pete or uh, mentorship program at graduates or attend or um, members. And uh, yeah, so every Thursday we're posting a new one of those on our YouTube channel, which is at Turning Profit. So, okay. I mean, I think we covered today's, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, uh, you know, if you are, if this does seem interesting, I would suggest checking out the community, the landconquest.com community and, uh, you know, going through the training a little bit, seeing what other people are talking about in there and uh, seeing if it's an interesting, you know, path for you to take. Yeah, so. we'd love to have you join the community. Um, and where can everyone find you online? Oh, at Partner with Pete. So, where? Oh, that's on Instagram and on TikTok. And then also LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So Just Pete Reese? Yeah. Yeah, Pete Reese on LinkedIn. And then we have our questions. Oh, my gosh. Did you I forget the whole segment, yes, Heather? Yes, I forgot that whole... Heather was wrapping up the episode already. But, You're all not quite. But every week during the uh, Turning Profit podcast, we also uh, have a segment where we pull at least four questions from our land conquest community and we highlight those questions here and then answer them on the podcast so i pull those questions and then i slack them to heather and then she reads them on her phone yeah and i don't look at them beforehand so okay. it's, it's always a fun thing <laughs> llc accounting this is from scott he says i'm new to investing in llc formation any advice on how to do the day-to-day -day accounting use of specific software create your own spreadsheet or hire it out do any of the spreadsheets from the training feed into a general ledger for accounting Okay, so I, that question was for you, basically. Oh, thank you. I yes. was like going to let you just go for it. I would just use QuickBooks yeah. uh, online. I wouldn't even mess around. There's FreshBooks. There's all these other ones, and they're probably way cheaper than QuickBooks. And no doubt QuickBooks keeps increasing their costs, but I think it's worth it because I would also recommend having you know a tax professional answer your questions and also do your tax preparation and filing. Um, and they're going to be more versed in QuickBooks online. Yeah, and that's kind of the industry standard, which seems like all of them like to mm -hmm. see you on. They did a big change like in the past year where it's more, I don't like it as much because like my brain's trained in the old way it looks, but now I think it looks friendlier. doesn't look as daunting. At some point, maybe you can have a bookkeeper too that, that does all that stuff for you. The way that they do it, you can pretty much program it. So, or 
train it, I guess, you know, mm. so it's not set up automation. So, yeah. And stuff know. like that. But I don't know. I really like QuickBooks um, online and, and I wouldn't mess around with any of that. I guess probably some people do spreadsheets, but I, I think it'd be way too complicated. Yeah. It would get out of hand really quickly. Yeah. You'd have to have a lot of them. So, but uh, Scott text or touches on something very important, record keeping. It's imperative. You need to be keeping your HUDs. You need to be keeping track of all your expenses, receipts, everything like that. So that there's no question. And also so that you can, you can know how you're doing. You know, you can't, what's, come on, give me the saying. Can't improve with you don't measure. Thank you. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So good question, Scott. Janae says, pricing the offer. Is the county assessed value of the land significant or do you base your offer more on the comparable sales in the area? First of all, the assessed value, each property has an assessed value that's assigned to that to it by the county that it's in. Most places or a lot of places that assessed value is not market value. Mm-hmm. Like you could sell the property, the, the market value is actually different than what the assessed value is. And each area has their own rules, how they come up with this assessed value and then calculate the property taxes that you owe. There are some areas where the assessed value is very, very similar to the market value. I would say in my experience, it's been, it's kind of the exception rather than the rule. So basically I wouldn't use the assessed value in order to determine the, pro- the value of that property. So when you're trying to determine the specific value of a property, you know, like say you get that in as a potential deal, you want to be looking at the recent solds that are very similar to that property and then make a determine, figure out the, the value of it that way. When you are kind of determining, you know, what to, you know, coming up with averages for a particular area in order to come up with your mailings, then, you know, you're looking at a collection of different comps in that area and kind of coming up with an average value. And then you can generate your offer prices based off of that. But none of them use the assessed value in any of those calculations. So now, even if the assessed value is close to market, it's a lagging reference. Yeah. You know, our lagging metric Mm -hmm. because high or low, they're doing that once a year. Yeah. And if there's big market changes, you're, you're either too high or too low. Yeah. Um, Okay. Keith says VA Pete, what would be the first task that you would hire a VA to do? Do you have a source to hire these VAs from? Yeah. Okay. So VAs, I think, I think uh, Keith is mentioning is mentioning that and probably thinking of someone from overseas in order to help uh, with with certain jobs. So we've always had great luck finding assistance on online jobs. Ph. So and those are obviously people based in the Philippines, and lots of people on that platform looking for different opportunities. And so we've been able to find some really, really great people that are part of our team that we found them on that mm-hmm. that portal there. So, you know, you come up with a job description and then you see what people apply and you obviously look at their background and the resume. And if they look interesting, then you set up a Zoom call with them. You know, th- that's the process I go through and mm-hmm. see if you'd be compatible match and and see if they've got the skill sets for what you're looking for. So that's where we find the people. What I would recommend is if you're getting started, I mean, everyone's got some different strengths and weaknesses. For me, I really didn't like doing a lot of the administrative type things, a lot of the kind of the behind the scenes stuff, which um, wasn't really moving the needle for me, like putting together lists and, you know, filtering those lists and just various tasks like that. And so I was taking a lot of those things I was currently doing myself. And then I was coming up with a little training on how to do those things. And then it was offloading those tasks to, to assistance. So that's, you know, so you just have to decide what things you don't like doing or what things you should be kind of focusing your time on. And then everything else you should, you know, train assistants and, or helpers or other people on your team in order to do those tasks. Yeah, so. maybe start with things you don't like to do that are repetitive tasks so you can yeah. train easily. Yep. And Loom, if you haven't used Loom, Loom is a great tool for 
for training people. So you can film a video how to do a specific thing. And it's great for the assistants too, because if they don't get it the first time through, they could watch the video 10 times and then get all the steps. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Cameron says, um, guidance on impact of chicken houses. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for this one. Good afternoon, fellow land flippers. This lead came in this morning, 1.81 acres. The seller is asking 20K. I've got a comp right down the road, 10 acres for 360,000. Sands chicken houses. I would think this lot would be worth 56K plus. What do you all think it's worth with the visual and nose impact of the chicken houses? Thanks for any and all insight you can provide. Okay. Thank you for this. Yeah, Peter. no problem, Heather. I, I knew you'd like that one. This is a common thing that comes up, and, and it may not be a chicken house. It could be a, a junkyard right beside the or a, property you're what's buying. What's my favorite or, one? Or uh, hog lagoon. Thank you. Yes, hog That's lagoon, cool. where it's basically a pond of like hog waste. These types of things really do affect property value. So it's, it's hard to say specifically how much it's going to, going to affect that property value, but you know, put yourself in the buyer's shoes. If you're going to go to this property and you see, okay, all these chicken houses are like your neighbor, like you know, hundreds of thousands of chickens there, uh, probably doesn't smell too good, probably is loud, probably you know, all it's these dusty. different- dusty, they're very dusty. dusty. Yeah, all kinds of things like that. Very few people are going to want to buy a property like that. At least for their house, right? Yeah, even if the price is right, you know, most people are going to say, I just couldn't foresee myself like living there. I don't want to invest into, you know, building a home here. Mm-hmm. I'd rather, you know, pay a little bit more and, you know, not mm-hmm. be near the the chicken house. Right. I don't so, want my kids breathing that in. Yeah. So I would be very, very conservative in, in a property like that and just go in it knowing that like, hey, this is going to have to be ultra cheap to find someone. And even then it may take a while to, to mm-hmm. resell and to find that that perfect buyer. I mean, maybe, maybe you could sell it to the chicken farm that's what i was saying know, like, yeah the neighbor or something like that but it's for someone for a home site that's going to be a, that's going to be a really tall order one of the other things i wanted to mention too uh, that Keith mentioned in the question was that he found a comp down the road that was 10 point something acres this property was 1.8 acres yeah i wouldn't use that as a comparable because the property sizes are so mm-hmm. different and i know what what he was thinking was just like, hey, we're just going to do the math and figure out the price per acre, and then this would be a great comp. But when you've got something that's a completely different type of property, that that equation doesn't really work very well. And it's so, a huge difference between 1.8 and 10. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole different league. Like, that's a completely different mm-hmm. thing. And maybe so. on a 10-acre property next to that, someone might be like, oh, we'll just be, we'll be nine acres that way, and yeah. we won't even see them. Yeah. I mean, on a property like that, I would be looking for nearby sales that were one to three acre range mm-hmm. and then making some adjustments based off of, you know, size or mm-hmm. and other conditions or, or something like that. But I wouldn't be using a 10 point something acre mm-hmm. comp for a 1.8 acre property. Yeah. And access, do I have to drive by the chickens? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's one of the ones where you got to visit and really I, yeah. think about it and I then ask buy an it. agent. I like yeah. Unless you've got some, some real knowledge about the property that gets it for some ultra great deal or something like that. I just simply wouldn't buy it. Yeah. This is what we call that forcing a deal Mm -hmm. where we're like, ah, but it just feels like it could be a really big deal or good deal, but it's just not worth the risk. Yeah. Cause this is a gamble because like we're saying, there's so many variables that even super cheap, you might have it forever. That's a gamble. Right. Unless you saw another, you know, comp or something like that, that was just right beside the chicken houses also, that was one point something acres in that area. Like, I don't know. It's uh, I wonder how long it was on the market for. Did this person buy yeah. it because they were like the neighbor? I don't know. I'm with you. I wouldn't buy it. Don't do it. Yeah. So I guess that wraps up today's episode of Turning Profit. Um, we've got a extensive library of episodes that if you enjoyed this one, please check out those other ones. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube, we would love it if you did that yeah, as well. We'd love Comment, to have you. you know, that all helps us 
our videos get shown for more people. So, uh, so I guess that's about it. All right. Okay. Thanks well, for watching well, or we'll listening. See All right. See you then. Bye. Ready to start turning profit yourself? Head to turningprofit.com to step up your real estate investing game. See you on the next episode.